A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome to this, the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist, um, where today I'm going to be talking about the different types of psychologists uh, that exist. I almost said the different type of podcasts that exist, but that was a Freudian slip because I am doing a podcast about psychologists. <laughs> um, but no. So the reason I'm going to talk about the different types of psychologists that exist is because I guess in the social sphere of late, there has been... Um, quite a lot of discussion around psychologists online um, and I guess some confusion about um, the type of psychologists that exist and also what various different types of psychologists can and can't do or should or shouldn't do within the remit of their profession. So I thought I would spend I don't know like 20 minutes or so just talking through the different types of psychologists that there are um, I'll talk about the different routes that one has to undertake in order to become a particular type of psychologist. And then I'll talk a little bit about the sort of governing bodies that exist um, in order to regulate these the different types of psychologists. I don't know how exciting this is going to be, um, but this might be of some interest to some people. But I thought I would just, yeah, share some knowledge um, and see what you guys think. So without much further ado, let's talk about the different kinds of psychologists. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, in the UK, and I guess I'm talking about the UK only because I'm not necessarily sure what it's like in other countries um, like the um, the US and things like that, um, or even Australia. So, you know, what I'm talking about here is purely about psychologists um, in the UK. So I guess in terms of what a psychologist actually does, I guess um, our main priority really, I suppose, is about trying to understand human behavior, um, to try and figure out why we um, think the way we do, why we have the beliefs that we have, why we might behave in the way that we do. Um, and I suppose we kind of do this by um, going out and doing research. Uh, part of being a psychologist is about sort of um, increasing the knowledge base of uh, understanding human behavior or human beings in general. And then what we'll do is we will, I guess, use the research that we have to then apply it to, I guess, people who may have different difficulties, distress, um, or in different situations. So as far as I'm aware, there's two different types of psychologists that exist there's an academic and a research psychologist and then there's what's called a practitioner psychologist a academic slash research psychologist is somebody who will have done a phd which will have taken about three years to do uh, some phds extend depending on the research and how long the research takes um, but generally phds are about three years now phds are exclusively about research only normally when somebody does a PhD, they don't necessarily need need to have had any kind of practical hands-on experience in the you know in the subject that they are researching. Uh, which is not to say that any PhD candidates or people who have PhDs have ever worked in um, 
I guess, sort of populations relating to psychology or mental health or anything like that. But I guess it's not necessarily a prerequisite. I guess an academic slash research psychologist is really about sort of academic prowess and, um, you know, doing research. And it's kind of the type of psychologist that an academic psychologist is, is just that it's purely an academic, it's purely in academia. So I guess, you know, the typical route would somebody would be that somebody would do like an undergrad, then maybe a master's. And then um, from there, they would um, either apply to do a PhD. Uh, so sometimes universities have pieces of research that they want done um, and they'll put adverts out and they will um, offer PhDs for candidates to do. And then the successful candidate will interview and they'll be accepted and they'll, you know, be given um the opportunity to do this PhD and then they'll get paid to do it. I think that if, you know, you're within a university and maybe, you know, you've got quite good networks within a university and you have an idea of a piece of research that you want to do, I think you can pitch that idea to the university as a PhD idea and they might say, yeah, okay, we think that that's good and we'll fund you and we'll also pay you to do that. Um, but then I guess what that entails and what that um, looks like um, is just pretty much three years of solid research. So, you know, it's doing a literature review, I would imagine. It's um, getting participants. It's administering um, the various different questionnaires, then gathering the data, then analyzing the data, writing it up, um, submitting it to um, the VIVA panel. Um, and a VIVA panel is... Um, where you eventually, essentially, sorry, um, defend your piece of research. So there'll be a panel of other, I guess, academics or, um, you know, people who may be um, experts in the field that you've researched and they'll sit down. Um, well, previously they'll have got your research, then they'll kind of rip it apart. Not in a, not in a bad way, but they'll go over it with a fine tooth comb. They'll read it from start to finish. They'll you know, um, analyze it quite in-depthly. And then the Viva is where you kind of sit and you defend your research. Um, and they'll ask you questions. They'll sort of, um, ask you why you chose a particular methodology, why you chose a particular form of analysis. Um, they might ask you about the interpretations, um, the clinical applications, if there are any, um, and then they may make a suggestion about um, whether you pass that or whether you might need to do some corrections or whether you fail. Um, and, you know, I think it's very rare to get a complete pass without any corrections. Um, but basically, that's pretty much it. Um, and then once you, once you have your PhD, you can kind of continue doing research um, or you can you know sort of go further into the field of academia um, some people um, end up being sort of you know professors and doing teaching and all that kind of stuff but then I don't know people might go on to other areas within sort of research um, they may also I don't know choose to study further or whatever um, but I guess what a PhD doesn't permit you to do is work clinically with somebody um, as a PhD doctor, I guess, I suppose. Um, 
I guess you can maybe consult. I guess you can maybe talk around um, literature. I guess you can talk around research. Um, but I suppose you can't necessarily um, speak from a clinically therapeutic perspective because I suppose, um, you know, when you do a PhD, you do a PhD within a very narrow, very specific piece of research. So, um, you know, my PhD was around a very particular topic. Um, and therefore I was, you know, an expert as it were on that particular topic. But if somebody asked me about another area of psychology, um, that was outside of my sort of field of remit, um, I might not necessarily have the, you know, knowledge. It doesn't mean I can't go read about it. it doesn't mean I can't go sort of access the knowledge and sort of learn about it. But, um, and I guess it's not, you know, people aren't necessarily purely limited by the research that they do, but I guess at the same time, um, it doesn't mean that they can kind of work therapeutically with somebody. A practitioner psychologist, on the other hand, um, which is, I guess, what I am, um, is slightly different to somebody that's done a PhD. Now, um, typically, a practitioner psychological degree um, is called a doctorate and not a PhD, first and foremost. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but I get slightly not, I don't know if I'm necessarily precious about it, but I guess when somebody says, you know, did you, you know, how was your PhD or, you know, when did you finish your PhD? I'm always like, it was uh, actually, it was actually a doctorate. <laughs> I guess just because I'm proud of it. But anyway, um, so a doctorate is different from a PhD in the sense that it is, um, well, it's also three years. Um, and you sort of, I guess you enter you choose a specific discipline of psychology to do a doctorate in. So for example, there is counseling psychology, educational psychology, forensic psychology, clinical psychology, um, sports psychology, um, quite a, occupational psychology. Did I mention that? I'm not sure. Um, but I guess there's quite a lot of specific disciplines that you can specialize in within a doctorate of psychology. And I guess what you will do is you will apply um, and a doctorate is made up of um, research like a PhD is but then also practical experience so and I guess I can only speak about um, forensic a forensic doctorate and a clinical psychology uh, clinical psychology doctorate because that's what I did um, I can't necessarily speak about um, educational or occupational psychology or counseling psychology but I'm assuming that they would be quite similar. They may not be, but I don't know. But anyway, so a doctorate is, as I was saying, like part research, part um, practical, hands-on experience. So typically within a doctorate, you'll do, uh, well, this is what I did and this is what my colleagues did anyway, um, is you'll do three days within a particular setting relating to the population um, in the field of psychology that you're studying. So if you're studying, if you're doing a forensic psychology doctorate, you will primarily work within forensic settings, which might be sort of like forensic hospitals, prisons, potentially probation um, offices, things like that. Um, if you're if you're doing clinical psychology, you will work in primarily uh, settings where 
you, you know people have psychological difficulties mental illnesses so your work in um sort of psychiatric hospitals potentially community mental health settings um you can work in i guess sort of um eating disorder services um older adult services um CAM services, so child and adolescent mental health services. Um, I know somebody that works with um, veterans, things like that. So, um, and I guess when you do a doctorate, you do lots of placements in lots of different settings in order to give you the experience of working amongst various different populations. Um, so, what you'll do is you'll work three days a week in a particular service and then you rotate throughout three years. So you'll probably do like one year. So your first year will probably be uh, your foundation placement. You'll work somebody somewhere for a year. Then you'll swap after that and you'll do six month placements um, in various different services or with various different populations or with various different sort of uh, uh, mental health uh, difficulties, mental illness difficulties, things like that. Um, so you'll work three days a week in the service, so you'll be part of the workforce, the staff team, as it were, and you'll hold a caseload, and you'll work with that caseload uh, clinically. So, you know, you'll oversee their care, you'll assess them, you'll formulate them, you'll sort of uh, plan their treatment, uh, you'll deliver interventions, um, you'll work very sort of therapeutically with somebody in that sense. Then um, one of the other days, uh, you'll go into the university and you'll have... Um, like a, a teaching day and then usually you've got like a free day where you're supposed to work on your assignments and your research um and then yeah um you pretty much will do your research alongside alongside that you'll also sit a viva you'll also defend your research um and you can and then when you qualify you qualify as as a doctor as a pr practitioner psychologist and then kind of you generally will go out and you will sort of work with people um sort of in psychological sort of mental health settings things like that so yeah so i guess those are th that's the difference between the two um types of psychologists that exist um the other thing to note is that um the term psychologist is not a protected title. Um, so anyone who works as a psychologist, so, um, you know, assistant psychologists, or um, I guess they're called aspiring psychologists now, or um, pre-qualified psychologists, I think is the other technical term maybe that they're called. So pre-qualified psychologists, trainee psychologists, and then I guess psychologists that have qualified um you know, either with a PhD or a doctorate, any of those individuals can call themselves a psychologist because um, effectively they are working as a psychologist psychologically with people um, in in that way. Um, but there are what's called protected titles, which, and I guess somebody please tell me if I'm wrong, but I think protected titles are only applicable to practitioner psychologists. So... Um, something like a forensic psychologist is a protected title. You can only call yourself a forensic psychologist if you've done a forensic doctorate. Um, a clinical psychologist is a protected title, so you can only call yourself a clinical psychologist if you've done a clinical psychology degree, uh, doctorate, sorry. Um, similar with counseling psychologist, educational psychologist, occupational psychologist, etc., etc. Um, I think you can look up all the protected titles of protected 
practitioner psychologist titles on the HCPC website, so the Health and Care Professionals Council website, um, which is, um, I guess, the governing body or the regulatory body that um, practitioner psychologists sort of sign up to um, because they are the ones who kind of, well, I guess they're the governing body that makes sure that... Um, as a practitioner psychologist, you adhere to kind of ethical guidelines um, and they are continuously monitoring your fitness to practice. So fitness to practice means essentially that it's um, about your ability, capability um, to do the job that you're supposed to be doing, that you're supposed to do. Um, and I guess they kind of well, for one, they take some money from you, <laughs> but doesn't. But don't all regulatory bodies. Um, but I guess you pay to be part of the HCPC, and you kind of have to be part of the HCPC in order to practice, um, to, to to practice and practice therapeutically. If you're not registered with them, then you're kind of. Um, I, I think you're breaking the law, I suppose. Um, not entirely sure, but I think you probably would be. Um, but if, say, for example, um, somebody felt that I as uh, their psychologist or their therapist or somebody you know that they were working with as a colleague was um, not adhering to kind of the code of ethics or the code of conduct or um, perhaps felt that I was working outside the boundaries of my job they could report me to the HCPC and the HCPC would investigate and they would sort of, you know, look at the allegations. They would sort of check with me about what I was doing. And I guess if I was found, if the allegations were upheld, um, then I guess I can either be asked to rectify whatever it is that I've done wrong. Um, and that might entail um, sort of updating my sort of current knowledge about the most recent research or most recent therapeutic practices available. Um, or they might suggest that I go do some kind of course or something like that to um, rectify whatever it is that the complaint was about. They might find no fault and therefore they won't uphold the allegation or they could strike me off. Um, so they could pretty much stop me from working therapeutically and if I'm struck off the list, I don't think that I could ever really get back on. Um, so the Health and Care Health and Care Professionals Council um, governs not just psychologists, but I guess they govern a whole bunch of sort of care health and care professionals. So occupational therapists, um, physiotherapists. Um, who else do they do? Um, they don't do nurses because the nurses have their own regulatory body, and they don't um, regulate um, psychiatrists either because the psychiatrists are regulated by the um, Royal College of physicians or royal gmc general medical council i can't remember one of those two um so yeah the other kind of body that exists i suppose is the british psychological society they are well a society as the name would suggest and they are sort of i guess the accreditors of all the i suppose psychological or psychology based um, what's the word I'm looking for? Psychology-based courses that exist in the UK, pretty much. 
Um, so I think they will go around the various different universities, um, I think pretty much from undergrad up uh, undergrad up till doctorate level, and they will look at the um, courses on offer and they will make sure that the courses are up to scratch, essentially, um, and then they will sort of accredit those courses, which basically means that if you go to a university and you complete a BPS accredited degree, um, you kind of have been taught to a sufficient level um, and you know you've got sufficient enough knowledge to just basically go out and do your job I guess um, what the BPS offers is like chartership um, which basically means that if you complete a BPS accredited course you can apply for chartership to the BPS um, and that means that you are I guess part of the crew um, but I suppose chartership is different from um, HCPC accreditation or HCPC registration in the sense that the BPS doesn't necessarily regulate your work um, which is kind of odd because actually the BPS created all the sort of ethical guidelines that sort of um, all psychologists, both academic and um, practitioner psychologists, kind of abide by. Um, so they sort of, through years, I don't know how long they've done it. I don't know how old the BPS is. Um, but they've kind of outlined all the sort of rules that we psychologists are supposed to um, stick to. Um, they've created the ethical guidelines that we're supposed to adhere to. Um, but at the same time, they don't necessarily enforce those um, guidelines or rules um, so in terms of I guess regulatory power and power that is held in order to kind of do something if a psychologist does anything wrong or anything unethical or anything um, outside of their remit or um, not in line with the sort of what they're supposed to do the BPS as far as I'm aware, and again, if somebody has a different perspective or a different view on what the BPS can and can't do, please let me know. But my understanding is that the BPS doesn't really hold much um, sway in terms of making sure that people do what they do or are supposed to do. Um, that's all up to the HCPC. Um, so, yeah. So, that's been about 22 minutes so far i wonder if there's anything else that i haven't covered no i think that feels about enough um so yeah so basically there's two different types of psychologist an academic slash um, research psychologist and a practitioner psychologist um the route to completing both of those um psychology doctoral uh, degrees are slightly different and they give you slightly different experiences and they mean that you can do quite different things um, at the end of them. Um, sci practitioner psychologists are regulated by the HCPC, the Health and Cares Professional Council, um, and can investigate any wrongdoing or unethical practice or if somebody um, isn't up to date with the most latest research or therapeutic practice, they can sort of make sure that they... Um, are up to scratch actually i think that the hcpc can audit you i think they can randomly like select you from a pool and just double check what all your um 
continued professional development is your CPD and I think you have to kind of do X amount of CPD per year I can't remember what the number is I should probably find that out but I think it's like you have to do a certain amount of CPD per year to make sure that you are keeping up to date with the most recent research and therapeutic practice um, and I think if they audit you and you haven't you can yeah, I don't know if you can get into trouble like they're not going to strike you off um, but I think they will make sure well, they'll, they'll encourage you to do it and then I guess they probably follow up to make sure that you've done it and then I guess if you haven't then done it then you're probably in more trouble <laughs> um, and then the BPS is the British Psychological Society who kind of set up all the rules and regulations and all the ethics and all the ways in which psychologists are meant to practice but at the same time they don't necessarily enforce those ways of working um, but they do accredit all the courses that exist in the UK or most of the courses that exist in the UK as far as I'm aware okay hopefully that's been helpful hopefully that's been of some I don't know hopefully that's given you some insights about uh, the different types of psychologists that exist the different types of things that psychologists can and can't do um, what it means to call yourself a psychologist um, what it means to um, have a protected title um, and yeah um, if you've enjoyed this episode um, please share and tell your friends um, if you haven't please let me know <laughs> please let me know why you didn't like it um, but if you did like it as well please rate it um, please leave a comment and yeah um, as always I hope you have a good day uh, you don't have to but I hope you do regardless and I'll speak to you soon